When Tyler wrote in requesting we watch a silent film for The Holdup, I was intrigued. It would seem to me that any movie that actually is remembered and watched almost a hundred years after its creation has to some extent held up. All the silent cinematic clunkers and mistakes are more than likely lost in time like tears in rain. It's not enough that a movie can make it to an arbitrary finish line, like being featured on some obscure podcast enjoyed by dozens, if not uh, one or two occasional randos. No, we will critique a silent film with the full weight of our unresearched knowledge, our infallible judgment, and our unshakable egos. And today, that silent film is, um, Nelson, what the hell are we doing tonight? I don't know. I was drunk when you brought it up. Um, the one where he's a detective, Charlie Chaplin. Chaplin? I, no, it's the other guy. Uh, who's the detective that, what's it, Dr. Strange plays? Oh, Sherlock? Oh, shit. Okay, yeah. That film is Sherlock Jr. Welcome to the holdup. Each month we pick a movie one of us remembers fondly but hasn't seen in years. Watch it and decide, does it hold up? I'm John Nelson. And I'm John Longino. And Wuxtry, Wuxtry, read all about it, friends. The depression is over. We're out of the red. We're out of the red. Yay. Remember how we joked about that a couple months ago about the depression yeah. and how everybody was trying desperately to manufacture uh, fake ways out of the depression? We, and are, we are definitely still in the red. Yeah. Blood red. <laughs> blood red. The blood red of COVID. Hey, Nel everybody. Nelson, how are we going to escape from these horrifying times is there another time in human history we could just warm ourselves in like a blanket uh apparently the dawn of cinema is what we've decided this is Hooray! us going all <laughs> the way back no but our friend tyler wrote in uh a couple months ago and suggested that for these uh depressing times that we should try a silent film to see if like in the depression it would help buoy our spirits lift us up uh and we were intrigued by this concept so we decided hey what the heck? Instead I mean, of uh, you really know, doing... nothing else I've tried has gotten me feeling better. <laughs> so this is this is the last bastion of hope, a silent film. If I'm not up by the end of this, then it's just all over. I mean, what's the what is our other choice? It's July. So what do we do? Jaws? Jaws hold up. Yay. OK, <laughs> done. Moving on. At this point, if you told me there was a killer shark, but I could enjoy the beach like in Jaws, I might take you up on it. <laughs> At <laughs> well, least that was I'm the whole the point, house. right? <laughs> Got to close the beach. Yeah. Mm. There are some. I mean, this is obviously a complete side tangent, but there are some weird parallels between Jaws and like the current times. Just well, like, well, we need those summer dollars. Open those beaches. <laughs> John Longinowa doesn't uh, lurk on social media nearly as much as I do, which is to say he doesn't do it at all. Uh, or he would have seen that by now the memes about Amity have been uh, <laughs> multiple and hilarious. Rightfully so. Summer dollars. The hustler's own uh, mayor of Amity. <laughs> <laughs> we need those summer dollars. We need those summer dollars. Uh, yeah, the the memes are fast and furious about uh, Amity and uh, the there's no shark in the water and everybody back in. But uh, <laughs> everything's anyway. fine. <laughs> Speaking of social media, y'all can catch our social media at Hold Up Podcast. Dot com, or you can send us an email at holduppodcast at gmail.com and uh, you can write in and tell us all about all the great things you're doing with your quarantine or yeah how are you getting your spirits up 
hopefully by listening to this podcast, hopefully that's that's uh, Nelson. If there's any silver lining, hopefully we're bringing some joy for a brief hour to what's <laughs> otherwise almost assuredly miserable lives. Uh, and what a brief hour this one shall be. This is the first time I think that we're going to do a movie that is probably shorter than the podcast. <laughs> I think this is true because I, I accidentally saw when I was looking up how to how to get this. Uh, I, I saw the running time. This is a 45 minute movie. Sherlock Jr. <laughs> One of the benefits of uh, of silent films is that many of them, especially the comedies, are quite short. Yeah, it's going to be an early night. That's another reason uh, to do this one, right? But, uh, okay, so we're doing Sherlock Jr. We uh, bopped around a bunch of different ideas, but the trouble with, like, silent films, like Longino said, is they've survived for a reason, most of them. There's not too many silent films that you see in uh, film school besides something like Birth of a Nation or sure. something where it's like, well, the reason we keep this around is because it was the first use of blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Otherwise, this is so super racist and awful that we just, uh, there's no reason that this should still exist. <laughs> but uh, most... Well, truth be told, uh, looking under the hood a bit, like we had a long conversation of like, what silent film do we watch? You know, which, and we sort right. of landed on Sherlock Jr., Mainly, one, I think you hadn't seen it at all. Right. I have not seen it. I I had barely even heard of it, honestly. Which I thought would be interesting to get sort of a fresh perspective, like one person having seen it, one person not. But also, it's just because, like like we said, a lot of the other ones we could have picked, you know, Metropolis came to mind, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari came to mind, you know, Nosferatu. These are all (laughs) essentially classics. And not that Buster Keaton's not. I You know, I feel... I mean, you know, we'll get to it a little later, but it's probably a good movie. But <laughs> but um, I I, we, I thought comedy and sort of a more lighthearted one would be uh, lend itself a little more to us judging it by today's standards or or kind of seeing it a little without the veneer of of like this is a cinematic classic film, right? I mean, because uh, usually I think Buster Keaton, the one people talk about quite a bit is the general is like usually. His like go to movie. Maybe actually, here's a great question. Have you seen a Buster Keaton film? I have. I've seen uh, what is it? Modern Times. <laughs> that's Charlie Chaplin. Is it? What am I yes. thinking of? The one where he's hanging off the clock. No, that's not. Uh, that's a different one. That's uh, what's his name? Hold on. Ah, oh, shoot. That's a different guy. <laughs> oh, oh, is that uh, uh, Lloyd? What's his name? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Harold Lloyd. Harold Lloyd. I've seen a Harold Lloyd film. Then. Okay. So yes, there's there's Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, and then to a lesser extent Harold Lloyd. I think he he came before them, but yeah, he famously is like the hanging clock scene. Then I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've seen a Buster Keaton film because I have seen at least over the course of a lifetime clips of Buster Keaton films, but maybe I have not been forced to sit down and watch one. I can't remember. Well, it's interesting. This one was the first one I ever saw. Sherlock oh. Jr. When did you see it? I saw it, uh, I think my dad showed it to me, uh, this and The General, actually. Oh, wow. uh, the General's one that <laughs> takes place during the Civil War, and Buster <laughs> Keaton, there's, there's like hijinks on a, on a steam locomotive. Uh, th- this <sighs> the one, Civil War. I, I think The General is generally, re- generally regarded uh, as, as one of his best, although Sherlock Jr. is right up there. I saw it again in a, in a film school class, so I've seen Sherlock Jr. twice. Okay. Um, but one when I was very young, 
and then again when I was in college, kind of young adult. But yeah, it sounds to me like you maybe have just never seen a Buster Keaton, which in that case... I uh, may not. I don't... I, I feel like I should have. <laughs> maybe I should have by this point, but I feel like I, I took a silent film class for crying out loud, right. which is how I've seen or maybe most the of the silent films I've seen. just escapes you. I mean, you were also, you know, there when they were shooting the films. Right. So. Because I'm very old, everybody. Yes. So I'm, I don't I'm know so why very you're forgetting old. it. Who are you talking to with I'm old these days? All the kids nowadays that are listening to this podcast are like, you're both old, dudes. That's <sighs> anyway. entirely, it's entirely fair. <laughs> John Longino is the age now that I was when we met, and right. they started calling me old then. So yes. we he's were, an we old, were, old man, we everybody. We were okay boomering you before that was even <laughs> a thing, basically. Right. And now I'm happy to join your ranks of the ridicule. <laughs> now you're, now you're going to be okay boomered? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. All right. So uh, tell me about Sherlock Jr. What is the plot and or the memories you have of Sherlock Jr.? Well, before I do that, since you have not seen Sherlock Jr., I would love for you to take a crack right. at guessing what Sherlock Jr. is about with only having the knowledge Buster Keaton's in it and it's called Sherlock Jr. Well, uh, if I have only the title... And a silent film knowledge. Uh, it is probably the ne'er-do-well son of Sherlock who is trying to solve a mystery like Dad, uh, but keeps, you know, bumbling and falling and, and uh, inserting himself improperly into the mystery and, and things like that. Basically just an excuse for a lot of physical hijinks. I mean, that's silent film. Uh, so he's the uh, dopey uh, fallabout son of Sherlock Holmes and uh, maybe the dumber, <laughs> the dumb son of Sherlock. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, that's my guess is that it's just, you know, there's a mystery. Sherlock Jr. wants to be like dad. So he tries to solve it, but he messes it up because he's a fuck up. Uh, and then Sherlock comes in and saves the day. Sherlock dad. Alternately. Now, I didn't think of this until I was speaking. It could be that he is in no way, shape, or form related to Sherlock Holmes. It could just be that it's, oh, he's Sherlock Jr. Get it? Because he thinks he's a big crime-solving magician <laughs> like Sherlock Holmes, you know? Well, I'll tell you, uh, tell you, Mr. Nelson, much like Sherlock himself, you sort of thought out all the evidence and then ultimately came to the correct conclusion because oh, okay. yes, you are right. He is not the son of Sherlock from what I recall. Oh. It is more a, just a simple joke of like, I think he fancies himself a detective okay. and may, may even be reading a Sherlock Holmes mystery novel. Oh, does he fall asleep while reading a novel and then he dreams Probably. of having a mystery? No, I don't. Because that was like the plot of every third <laughs> silent film is falling no, asleep. I don't think this is a, a Wizard of Oz type deal. It's more like, yeah, it's more what you just described. Like, he fancies right. himself a detective, Hardy Har, you know, kind of, Got oh, it. Sherlock Jr. <laughs> so I eliminated all uh, improbable things and got to the, the Correct. what got to what was left, <laughs> and so that has to be the truth. Great. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm in it to win it. Let's do it. Fantastic. But yeah, that that's basically the plot. The plot is actually pretty light. If I recall, he's at a party or something, and he's reading this book. And then what's weird is like, it's not like he's mystery solving. From what I remember, it's more like there's an antagonist. I think there's some kind of shady criminal that kidnaps a woman. I of think. Course. I don't, does, don't. She, does she get tied to the railroad tracks? Pro Please say she does. Practically. <laughs> but I, I think he's sweet on a girl and there's a man of ill repute that's up to sh some shenanigans. 
and then he is sort of crime solving slash like running from them <laughs> fucking off and you know yeah. falling off things and i think well, I he's mean, trying to protect her and and kind of fighting criminals well that was i mean these three dudes that we talk about they are known for their physical comedy yes and if they didn't do physical comedy it was usually that's the film that everybody goes oh my god the great dictator or whatever uh so yeah i, I it it stands to reason that you know silent film there's not a lot of dialogue there's not a lot of anything but music and pratfalls so it stands to reason it's like most of the focus is going to be like okay how you know it's like america's funniest home videos how many times can this dude get hit in the nuts yes <laughs> um what what you may or may not know about buster keaton that i certainly remember from the film and it's worth kind of mentioning is is Charlie Chaplin was more this very animated, silly character. Uh, Buster Keaton was always known as Old Stoneface. So his uh, his okay. whole shtick is like he is just deadpan serious, like hardly emoting at all. Right. So all this crazy shit's going on around him, and he might as well be a corpse, basically. Like he's <laughs> he he's not reacting. Okay. Um, I, which enough. I which I actually think is funnier. I think I think if I had to pick, I I prefer Buster Keaton to Charlie Chaplin for this specific reason. I think it's it's more um, sly and clever and funny because he's just so deadpan. I feel like there's been this sort of slow like you know the the pendulum has swung from Chaplin to Keaton over the last couple decades. I feel like when I was taking silent film classes in the halcyon days of the late 90s that was one of the things that they were saying is like well Chaplin was a genius with this but the funny good movies were Buster Keaton. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's sort of like it's like Chaplin was like appealed to the to most people as like you know the tramp and I, you know, and then and then I feel like Buster Keaton's like your indie art house like actually cool guy i mean obviously everyone liked all this stuff so i'm sure that's right. insane to say yeah chaplin the, is the shakespeare and uh keaton is the christopher marlowe yes exactly <laughs> uh, another quality of buster keaton that certainly shows itself in the movie is he was way more a stunt man uh, mm. actually similar to harold lloyd hanging off a clock off a building that's a very stunt heavy thing from right. my memory charlie chaplin he did a lot of pratfalls in physical comedy but he wasn't like jackie chan jumping from building to building like crazy shit whereas buster keaton did super dangerous stuff <laughs> he, he, he was the tom cruise of his time yes exactly <laughs> like, you, watch, you see what like, i did just there <laughs> i like, called him the tom cruise exactly <laughs> Uh, it's like this man should be dead. Like, <laughs> so, so part of the thrill, even for an old timey movie, is like you're watching him risk his life for a gag. Right. I, I think uh, you know I, I won't give away most of the movie, but one shot in particular is is pretty famous. And even if you haven't seen the film, you, I'm sure you have seen this in something. But there is a moment in the movie where he's standing, and the side of a building just falls over, and he is sort of missed because a window lands like where he's standing right which and i have seen but i also feel like i saw that didn't chaplin do something like that in the gold rush the second I, gold uh, rush perhaps i don't recall okay because i know i've seen that gag for sure yeah. but i feel like i have seen it recently and i thought i saw it in gold rush well we i'm watched sure it's that. an oldie but a goodie but but my memory is like it's it's buster <laughs> keaton standing in a field as wood and pylon and, and metal and whatever 
fall in a very you know cookie cutter shape where it it doesn't hit him and you sit there and you watch it and it's like haha it's funny but you you apply some logic to it and you're like if this thing of a strong wind blows or this this like <laughs> misses its mark, he's just getting crushed by this thing. Right. So it's I dare I guarantee you wouldn't see anyone now do that. Like that's kind of crazy. Except Tom Cruise. Certainly, perhaps. Tom Cruise would stand <laughs> under the building and let it fall how it, however it needed to fall. But that's <sighs> all right. That's the shot I remember, and you know, hopefully I'm not misremembering. Maybe that is from a different movie, and I'm just falsely attributing it to Sherlock Jr. But we will see. We we will find out very soon. Now there is one more thing I wanted to get at. We've sort of uh, touched on it a couple of times, but does the fact that it has survived because like you say most films that had been created in this time don't exist anymore like they right. just do not exist they they died a you know a a, a disintegrating death and the, the the a lot of the movies that i mean most of the movies that came out before a certain year don't exist anymore well, also half of these were shot on like flammable material <laughs> film that right. just went up in smoke and they're like gone for all time. Or it didn't go up in smoke. It just descended. Like film doesn't last very right. long. It's just sitting on a shelf in a barn. Right. So it's just like, you know, that's the real, you know, I saw this whole film once and probably in, in the silent film class by Scorsese where he was talking about, you know, uh, uh, preserving old films and just the the nightmare of trying to find a good piece of film that you know over a certain age is just impossible because they just it just breaks down so terribly right it, it like film breaks down from the second it comes out of the can like if it's not soaking wet fresh out of the you know development lab uh you're not getting the best version of it so it's uh, yeah uh, so d- that in mind it's like has it survived because somebody's like oh i just got to keep a copy of this the the world must treasure this forever or is it like eh, there were 300 other ones like this some were better some were worse but this is just the one that happened to make it out because it was a name i don't know yeah and i always like those stories of like it sounds like indiana jones where someone buys a house and goes to a basement and unearths some like treasure trove of of lost film reels that that suddenly get to be restored like yeah it's kind of wild it happens way too much too like in the modern day you would think that like okay we've gone through all the barns we found all the because by now it's either gone or you know we've gotten everything right? right but there's still stuff like i mean this is not as recent now as we're talking but like 10 years ago or so when they were restoring the good the bad and the ugly they were like or maybe it was Fistful of Dollars, I forget which, but they discovered in some dude's like VCR collection, like he had a VHS collection, and one of them was uh, Fistful of Dollars, and it had this whole intro that was filmed for an American audience. And it had like Harry Dean Stanton in it, and it was just, it was oh, like, wow. what wow. the fuck is this? It, it completely does. And it like sets up why the man with no name is such a cold blooded killer and why we have to identify him. It's like, because he's secretly working for the law. Um, <laughs> but this is the only version of it that exists. It's wow. on this VHS copies. Like, there's no film that exists. The, the, the restored version, quote unquote, that we saw is from some dude who, like, in his teens was like, oh shit, I always wanted to see Fistful of Dollars, waiting to press. Uh, play and record on his VCR some afternoon. 
crazy. That's crazy. To me, that's just insanity. It's like, you know, when I was a kid, I thought, oh, you know, you preserve all this stuff. There's giant vaults across the country, you know, uh, uh, airtight so that the film may not, you know, even suffer the slightest degradation. And to <laughs> come to find out, it's like, dude, they erased half the tapes of classic TV. Doctor Who doesn't yeah, exist. They you just know, lit all this it shit. on fire. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they t- it's, it's such a different mindset than even when we were kids. There was no sense of preservation. It was just like, eh, who's going to give a fuck? Because next week we're going to film something exactly like it and try and, you know, make a, a buck off that. So, yeah, it's it, it's crazy to me to think that, like, most of cinema doesn't exist because there was all these silent films and all sure. these early, you know, pre-30s movies that just, like... Well, that to me, that really begs the question, if, we're, if the silent film Sherlock Jr. has survived to this point, to where in the year 2020, you and I are going to watch it and critique it, what are we looking for like what is the what is because usually we don't have to define this but i think like for this to hold up to what what are we judging that's a very good question because i put a different set of criteria on older films not just silent films but i mean at this point in time for a a silent film to hold up i feel like it just has to not be racist It has to at you, least. You would think sh- it's a low bar, but you would think <laughs> it's tough. But, <laughs> but it has to not be like over, completely overtly racist. It has to. Uh, you're not going to get away with no misogyny because that's just not how people roll. And, and to you know. be clear, we're not talking about it being popular in the time it came out. It's more like to right. survive the modern. To survive viewing. to this day, it's like why does it still Ju- aff- judging you know, on today's standards, not the past standards, but today's right. standards. I mean. Which you can do. I mean, it's possible, especially if there's no, again, overt racism or anything like that's just punching you in the face saying, ha, wasn't it funny how other people are different than white people? Um, which is like 90% of all silent films. But, <laughs> but it, you know, as long as it had something that, you know, is universally funny. I mean, and again, that's why it's Pratt Falls and getting, you know, hit in the head. It's because, well, that's funny no matter uh, what age, you know, what uh, part of the world you come from. It's always funny to get see somebody get hit with an iron girder, right? So... Uh, I guess what I'm looking for is just does it make me laugh even in this day and age when I feel like you've seen everything can I look at it and go I mean I'm certainly not going to say oh I've never seen that gag before because chances are this has been mined and sucked dry like everything these guys did was copied thousands of times so I'm not going to be seeing it for the first time that way but maybe I can look at it with the appreciation of like oh well this is the guy who invented it and maybe he's still the guy who did it best because you know before that it's like how does one you know swing by one foot upside down you know between two alligators or whatever you know so yeah i i don't know i it, honestly the bar is like oddly high and low it's like <laughs> right. it, it doesn't have to pass much in some cases but in other cases it's like yeah but this better be fucking funny you know what i mean because there's a lot of boring silent films that i've seen Definitely. in life well from my memory, I, I could be wrong, but I don't remember a single shred of this movie being offensive or in, in some ways taboo uh, by modern standards. It's a pretty simple story. And right. I remember Buster Keaton being incredibly funny, like like so much so that I think he would still play now. And, and mm-hmm. silent films are kind of interesting because being funny without dialogue, I mean, certainly possible, you know, visual humor, but it... it it is something that we don't see as much because as a modern audience, we're so used to like comedy through dialogue. Right. 
And well, and comedy through sound too, because I, you know, you think of it too. It's like we're going to be watching, and a building will fall on him, and you'll hear no like crash, bang, boom, smash. I mean, like a lot of what we do as editors is like, okay, what's happening in sort of the visual, and what's happening in the audio, and the audio can tell a whole different story, which is where silent films are like, well, there's no other story being told; it is just this visual one. So it'll be interesting to you know, especially nowadays, where like no sound goes unchecked anymore it's like if you right. see something you know you could see like a, a blink of light on screen and there'll be people like ah, oh, that needs something put like a little ding behind it you know because it can't have it can't be unmotivated so yeah it'll be interesting to just see the world uh with with only music i assume there's music on this right oh yeah yeah because they eventually decided to assign music to it for yeah. uh, preservation I mean, purposes. Uh, oh, that's the thing about silent films. It's not even like you're necessarily hearing the original intended song for it. It's just like right. s- some guy in a, <laughs> in a theater <laughs> was just banging away on a piano. You know, just, <laughs> just drunkenly hitting the keys. It's like, I don't give yeah. a fuck. I have another show in and out. I mean, maybe yeah, they got I a mean, little skilled if they saw the movie a lot. But yeah, I, I don't think there's like canonical music. It's just sort of whatever they felt worked yeah i mean i will say i i I don't know have you ever been to the silent movie theater here in los angeles have you seen a silent film there no okay (laughs) because they were the theater that for a while uh after i had shown up in la uh this was the theater that if you want to see a silent film the way that an audience saw it originally this was the closest you were going to get they had a you know a organ or a piano or whatever you would come in you would watch someone would play live music and there is something to that where you're like oh I mean, it's it's interactive is not the correct word because someone is still making choices for you. But it is interesting that it's sort of like the difference between a, a full on movie and like a stage play where it's like something could go wrong. The piano could catch on fire and the movie could keep rolling with that, you know, no knowledge of that. So it's like there was always the possibility that like, oh, he could mess up or he could change his mind on something uh, or he could just play something different every show. But well, yeah, it kind of has sorry, that wouldn't. theater magic where it's like each performance isn't exactly the same as it was right. before. I mean, obviously now archivally watching it, you know, on video, it's going to be the same every time. But right, that, that's sort of the magic of the silent movie theater. Right, but that's now closed, unfortunately. But yes. uh, but yeah, that's that's an interesting thing that even us judging it by the criteria we're about to judge it, which is all oh, that soundtrack that they chose or this, you know, stuff that they have since plastered to the movie for all eternity. It's like this was not the original intent necessarily, which right. is, you know, we're not going to get that. So it's going to be interesting to to judge it like that. So, well, it holds up, you know, since the time they slapped it together in 1952 and, you know, stuck it in the vault. So. Anyway, I guess this begs the question, John Longino, do you think that Sherlock Jr. will hold up? I do. And I really only have two words to back up that claim. Buster Keaton. Uh, I think he's as good today as he was then. Uh, It's been many years since I've seen one of his films, so maybe uh, I'm incorrect in that assertion. But I don't think so. I I think Buster Keaton's a solid choice, and we're going to have a good time. Great. Well, I'll say it holds up for no other reason than, I mean, it's it's kind of, like you say, it's loaded. If it survived this long, it tilts that way anyway. So me saying, yeah, Buster Keaton, he's pretty good. That's just, you know, <laughs> not really adding anything to the to the Pantheon. But I'll say it holds up, and, and it will probably hold up for me. That's what I'll say. It doesn't hold up. Does it hold up for the world? Probably. Does it hold up for me? We're about to find out. But I'll say yes. Excellent. All right. 
Well, good. I'm glad we got that out of the way. So now that we've talked for 45 minutes about a 45-minute film, <laughs> let's go watch Sherlock Jr. And we'll be back, folks. Mr. Keaton, is it true that Harry Houdini is the one who first named you Buster? Yeah, that's right. The show I was born with on a one-night stand in Kansas was the Keaton and Houdini Medicine Show Company. I see. My father was a grotesque comedian, and my mother was the ingenue soubrette the singer and dancer in the show. I fell down a flight of stairs when I was around six months old. They picked me up, and no bruises, and didn't seem to hurt myself, and Houdini says, that was a buster. The old man says, that's a good name, we'll call him that. What did draw you into films? I don't know. I'd been watching motion pictures while I was touring the country, and when Arbuckle says, have you ever been in a motion picture? I told him, I said, I've never even been in the studio. He says, well, come on down, try a bit with me and see how you like it. Well, everything about the studio I liked, the first thing I did was make a friend with the cameraman and get in the cutting room and tear a camera to pieces and everything else and find out how I could get trick photography and uh, things I could do with a camera that I couldn't do on the stage. Now, in view of your own brand of doer deadpan humor, Mr. Keaton, would you agree that human pain, not pleasure, is at the bottom of most successful humor? Yes, I'm afraid it do to a certain extent a great deal of it because an audience will laugh at things happening to you and they certainly wouldn't laugh if it happened to them ah we're back everybody from the land yes. of silence i fell asleep and now have joining you in a <laughs> dream version of the hold up podcast in which john nelson is a prophet <laughs> and re- not seeing the film remembered more than i did apparently that there is a dream sequence where he goes yeah like half the stuff i said came to pass he was <laughs> i mean not that initial thing that i was starting with that he was the bumbling uh son of sherlock but he, I, I got that he was bumbling i mean that was pretty obvious Certainly. but uh that he was uh the non son of titular sherlock but he's solving a mystery and then i accidentally predicted midway through our conversation that oh he fell asleep and dreamed of being this great detective and that's where that came from is what happened i do have one major correction uh before (laughs) the movie i had remembered this to be the film where a house almost lands on buster keaton I am incorrect. Uh, that <laughs> film is called Steamboat Bill Jr. Oh. <laughs> Apparently in the Junior series of, of Mr. Keaton. Uh, but that came out a few years after this in 1927 or something. So uh, certainly, uh, understandably, uh, an honest mistake. Same actor, same spirit of a movie. Not this movie. Uh, but speaking of spiritual... Uh, uh, Descendants. I mean, we were talking about Tom Cruise before this. Uh, we watched this movie. Holy shit, that was completely apt because this dude was like putting his life on the line every second of this film. It seemed like I, yeah, there was it's pretty wild. It was like a, watching a Jackie Chan film from the eighties, where he's like, "Oh, he's gonna bust his face in like ten seconds. Any any second now, he's gonna fall and and you know have a hernia or broken yes. back or whatever." I, I think the genre of death defying is something. Something Buster Keaton did a fair amount that uh, maybe his counterparts didn't do as much because it's it's pretty wild. 
Yeah, I mean, well, you know, the Chaplin stuff I remember is much more contained, it seems like. It's like he finds, like, one place. I mean, this is not every case, but it seems like he finds a place and just, like, milks that for every stunt, whereas, like, Buster Keaton's like, at least in this film, I apparently have not seen any Buster Keaton but this one, but uh, in this film, he's everywhere. He's in every scene. He's, you know, in Los Angeles. He's jumping off a building. He's, you know, in a studio. It's it's crazy how far and wide this movie reaches in a trim 45 minutes um but so, yeah uh, nelson as a first viewing like what'd you think what stood out to you in in terms of the movie um well i mean it, it, i can enthusiastically say most things stood out it was just i mean the stunt work is amazing the you know the the physical comedy is just I, I mean, you watch it and you're like, there's people wouldn't do that now. Like there was one time right, he was right. on top of a, like a two story building grabbed onto like one of those, um, arms that, you know, the mechanical arms that, you know, cars go in and out, you know, prevents a car from leaving a whatever. And he grabbed the end of that and swooped down on it, like cat and blood or whatever. And I was watching, and you know, it's just a wide shot of just him on top of a building, literally going down and descending into a car. And I'm like, I'm sure they worked it all out, but it's still like, are, that's insane you fall i mean you lose your there's no stunt bag there's no i mean it it looks insane so stuff like that was just amazing to watch and there was just a lot of like interesting like vaudevillian humor that he like made magic tricks out of though it's like he jumps into a suitcase at one point yeah that was kind of wild like there there's a, a friend of his his colleague i guess his dr watson type counterpart is dressed like an old lady at the end of an alley standing in front of a wall pointing at a chest he's opening being like jump in jump in and it's it's kind of crazy he he dives like head first into what seems like this guy's body yeah and then mere seconds after that the guy just closes the suitcase and walks off like nothing happened i mean i have to think that it's like the dude is like the dude who's holding the case is probably like up on a, a thing you know he's actually vertical uh, uh, Buster Keaton dives underneath where he is, and then the dude just lowers himself and yeah, walks like slides off. Down. I guess yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, obviously it's all trickery, but it it says a lot that you know two guys almost a hundred years later are watching it and being like, "Wow, how did they do that? How the That's fuck crazy. did they do that?" Yeah, I mean, well, there's a lot. Like I say, I don't think it's uh, a coincidence that this is like vaudevillian humor. It's like they're doing the banana gag. They're doing well. They're doing a variation on the banana sure. gag, which is hilarious. This movie's from 1924, and they're still like he takes a banana peel and puts it on the ground, expecting dude to trip and fall on it. And we're like. We're already in 1924 subverting the banana gag, which I was like very impressed by. I was like, wow, that that really is the oldest trick in the book. Uh, there was another subversion too, like the butler did it. That was the other subversion yes. is like there's a butler and they don't even like go through the whole rigmarole like any other silent film. It, feel, it feels like they'd like turn to one another and kind of get the <laughs> the knowing look. And then the card would say the butler did it. Ha 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 or whatever. Just so you were all in on the joke. This one, they're just like, eh, you know, this joke, the butler always does it. So he's, <laughs> the, he's co bad guy. Well, in particular, this butler, I thought was was a really great actor he was just going like all the way <laughs> his sort of like visual looks and he had this eyeliner where he looked like uh that guy from lost or whatever it's just like, <laughs> has this like egyptian eyeliner for some reason that really stands out i think to make him kind of pop i mean uh he was just like so sinister it was it was really funny uh, there was even this is the thing and you know he 
He's had some, like, you know, kind of pratfalls, and he starts off kind of small, and he's got, like, pratfall gags, and, you know, and he starts building the gags up. And even in the middle, when he's, like, dreaming that he's this master detective, uh, there's a whole, like, sequence where the butler and the bad guy are trying to kill him. So there's like an axe that comes down when you sit in a certain <laughs> chair and he poisons one of the drinks and one of the cute or two of the cue balls, right? Or just one, I guess. One well, of the cue one, balls. One to show us what happens right. and the other to attempt it. He's got a uh, like exploding a uh, cue balls. Yeah, well, he's got the 13 ball on a pool table and one of them, he's got these duplicates and one of them explodes and he puts the other one down on the table. And this is the thing that is... Uh, makes this film just effervescent. It's like, there's all this physical stunt work before and after. It's like this death-defying stuff, and you're like, oh my god, that's so impressive how he does this, and he jumps off buildings, and he does that. Dude spends five minutes at a pool table. We just watched two other movies about pool, and we were <laughs> like, oh man, isn't that amazing, the, you know, the great uh, pool work that these you know, actors had to learn. This fucking guy, in a big wide shot, manages to not hit a ball... When by all rights, he should have cracked it 37 different times. I mean, some of it's just like the ball is obviously nailed down and some of the balls sure. just like trick off it. But you can't do that. Too. You're not getting away with that visually too much because you can see when the ball, if you're looking at it, it's like, okay, that thing is pinned down, obviously, when a ball ricochets off it. But he's missing it. And I'm like, I can't even hit balls on purpose. And this guy is like so good at the pool table. He's deliberately like hitting all these trick shots and missing <laughs> the one. It's just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's amazing that, yeah, having just watched Hustler and Color of Money, it's like the lost <laughs> pool movie. I had remembered there was some sort of pool billiards kind of gag but it, the specifics of it didn't uh come to my mind but yes the fact that there was this exploding ball that he is missing and balls are flying everywhere not hitting this thing like how hard is it to crack like break a shot and not hit a ball right yeah it, it's kind of wild and when the and the thing is when the ball is not pinned down when it's kind of moving around the table initially it's like I, I mean maybe it's an optical illusion and i just wasn't like looking for the gag yet but it it seems like the ball moves in a certain direction and it just yeah i don't know it, it moves when it needs to move and he's amazing at missing it when he uh anyway that was to me it's just like equally impressive that this dude jumped off a two-story building and then did five minutes of pool trick shots in the same movie yes that was crazy well, what he's really good at is making things that obviously he's busted his ass to get right and things that are incredibly difficult to do, making it look just like random and super easy. Yeah. Like he's so just nonchalant, like, oh, yeah, this is not a big thing at all. But like it looks super hard. Yes. And and not just the pool, just like all the yeah, all the all death defying stunts yeah. and everything. There's an entire sequence in the movie where he's sitting on top of a motorcycle on the handles <laughs> right on the handle just basically driving what i is there's no way he's running the motor it's like they just <laughs> hit the motor and go good luck <laughs> and he's just fucking driving around the street no it's like totally insane there's and the weird thing is we were talking about like during the movie you know we could chat it up because there's no dialogue to talk over we're chatting up like oh my gosh this is an interesting shot and then they get you know and most of it is just in camera practical 
you know, effects or, you know, uh, stunt work or whatever. Then they get to this weird, like, super technology, which must have been mind-blowing at the time, where it's like, he's in the theater that he he's a projectionist, and he's fallen asleep to the movie that's playing, and then a ghostly uh, Buster Keaton comes out of him, and I'm sure this is, you know, I'm we're both trying to figure out, I wonder how they did that shot, or did they film over it twice, or how did they do that? We're trying to figure out this shot, and then four minutes later, he goes up onto the stage where the film is playing, First it's a movie, then he walks into the movie, then he starts clicking in between movies, and these are obviously shots that they've taken before, but he's like on an ocean or in a tree, or and he's like moving in between these shots, yes. and the cuts are just bang on exactly right. It's and like, I, a, to me, it felt like a precursor to that Looney Tunes duck amok that like yeah. Daffy Duck is getting fucked with in a movie where... The whole conceit is like Buster Keaton remains where he is, but as the edits are happening in the movie and the location is changing, he finds, you know, it's like he's looking down and all of a sudden he's on the edge of a cliff and then all of a sudden he's on the ocean. All of a sudden he's there with lions around him and 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 the way they're achieving this is is like Nelson said they're lining him up in shots so when they edit it's as if like he's where he was and you would think that would actually look really tacky. But they do it like a pretty damn good job. I mean, it's it almost good. spot on. There's obviously a couple of points where you're like, okay, that's a little, little bit of camera trickery there or whatever. But it's like to get him exactly the size he needs to be within the frame, especially back in those days. I mean, they. I guess what the trail, you know, we were like, how the fuck did they do that? And I guess the, the answer is they used like surveyor equipment to measure him correct but even right. so because you, you you make a great point he has to be not only framed the same but he has to be the same size so it's like they go and set up and put the camera down and then he has to be exactly the same distance right in exactly the same point in frame got to be the same size too because you'll notice your eye will notice oh he slightly bigger or smaller than he was a second ago nowadays i mean again longino and i are editors if we decide if we had to line up these shots it would be tough because we even though we can like maneuver the you know we can increase or decrease the size of the frame without you know you know having to blow it maybe they did that i mean maybe they're like oh he's slightly smaller let's spend an extra thousand dollars to you know reframe it <laughs> right because we can just do this now with a computer in a second and back then it'd be like okay do it again send it through one more time but i mean you know it the film degrades when you do that so you can't do it too often in the 20s so it's like the fact that they just set it up so close is like dad that's amazing that part well, was amazing yeah and it, it, honestly that was probably the best part of the whole thing his stunts are amazing but like it was such a clever conceit yeah like man in movie theater walks into movie and as the movie edits is in all these crazy situations in what appears to be like one unbroken shot obviously there's cuts in it but for him to it, they fooled us because i thought i was watching a movie and then he just walks up and walks into right. the movie and i was like oh shit this is a stage <laughs> yeah and then, and then all of a sudden there's things that are obviously not a stage like him out in the wild and in water and shit and and it like still works now i mean yeah. if you we were doing what we were talking about which is like not only is this just remembered but does it play now that scene totally played now in like right. almost a hundred years later that's crazy yeah it was it was so you know you would think that like having seen like avatar and 
You know, all these other movies where the technology is just completely blown out, you would not be impressed with like, eh, it's a hard cut and a projected thing and a back project. You know, you wouldn't think that these simple tricks would still impress. And yet we're looking, it's like, Jesus Christ, because you just know the work that went into it yes. to get that completely right. Yes, I actually got, I mean, this this is kind of egotistical maybe, but I got I got this weird feeling of like, they they worked really hard to do this and it played to like, yokels at some nickel theater <laughs> that were throwing popcorn and like didn't give a fuck like that's what i keep thinking it's like wasted upon its original audience i don't know i'm sure there were people that loved it and, and saw the effort that went into it but right. like my my understanding of cinemas is just kind of like people were fucking around in movie theaters <laughs> half paying attention <laughs> Like walking in and out randomly, <laughs> you know? and I'm like, it's just like wasted on, you know. So I'm glad that it survives to be appreciated yeah. for the difficulty. I mean, I will say this: this movie demands attention because there was points where I'd be like, we, you know, there was a point in the movie where we saw the skyline. It's a, you know, it's a, they're shooting on location somewhere, and we saw the skyline. I was like. Where is that? Is that like Pasadena? Is that Glendale? Is that Los Angeles? I got to look this up. And I look on my phone and I missed a gag and Longino was like, oh, you motherfucker. Now we have to rewind the whole thing because, you you know, I and I wasn't looking down for like but a second and you miss all these great gags. So, yeah, I just I had to put the yeah, phone down and pay more attention. Like, that one was the he set up an old woman costume in like a big kind of drum like a and hoop. then put it up on the window and then he's in there with the bad guys and he jumps through and goes from like detective clothes to old lady shawl and within a moment is walking away and and i i always thought that was really impressive well and the crazy thing too is that is yet another that's a complete merge of like practical and special effects because he's doing the stunt jumping through the window getting in the clothes it's like he's not you know you're, you're he's doing nothing but what you see there he is jumping getting into clothes as you're watching it but meanwhile you start on the outside of the building you see a building and then the wall fades away so you can see like the cutaway versions and see inside and obviously in real life they took the wall off <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you're seeing like this yeah. combo of like Hope the high... clouds don't show up <laughs> like, yeah in the you're middle seeing this, of resetting it up you're seeing this crazy mixture of high and low tech and it's just like wow that's insane i mean the funny thing is, like, before the real technology stuff kicked in, I mean, like I say, most of the beginning of this movie was like Pratt Falls and practical sure. stunt work. And they did what I think they were doing the uh, the ghost effect. And uh, for those of you who have Disney Plus, there's a show on Disney called The Mandalorian, and it has a series of uh, do uh, documentaries about the making of and it's got this amazing episode about the technology which is basically like hey we've got this giant room that's basically a giant tv and we project the set onto the tv and we had been talking about that and being like oh my god it's insane how technology has changed and then we saw these you know what are now to us just simple technological effects and just thinking to ourselves how mind-blowing must it have been for you to be working in movies at that time and be like we're gonna do which now we're gonna cut to you but you're a ghost also in the same screen but you're right. also going to be faded you look like a, i mean it's just because keep in mind this isn't that many years uh divorce from like people see a train coming at a camera and they're like <laughs> diving bombing diving like out of the aisles freaking out for their lives i so. mean we, we've got a good 25 <laughs> years or so since people have been like you know dive diving out of their chairs but 
I don't know. It's like 25 years ago. What was the great? What was the biggest special effect out of the Phantom Menace? I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that or a Jurassic Park probably. So right. I'll, I mean, I'll Jurassic Park would there. be the big. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's just pretty mind blowing. It's. Uh, it, I, I, here's what I'll say about this movie. Even if I didn't like the movie, it is amazing to me that we are having a discussion about the high tech of this movie. Right. You know, it, it reminds me that there was a show on years ago called Wild West Tech and I got into it. I was very, I'm very into Westerns and old West culture. But the thing that I thought, I thought it was kind of a joke because I was like, well, what, you know, honestly, what technology is there in the old West? What computers or what, you know, and they just went into like, well, this is, if you had a gun, this is how a gun worked. And if you had a, a wagon, this is how a wagon worked. And you had to look at it as like, well, back in the day, yes, to us, a wagon is not high tech. Back then, <laughs> a fucking wagon was high tech. It's like, oh shit, I don't have to walk or ride a horse right right <laughs> you know so it was kind of felt like that it's like well yeah being able to you know print different things on you know film and then cut the in and out yeah that may not seem high tech but back in the old days you know that was immediate you know it was huge well anyway here's my other takeaway you can really never overrate clever yes like yes the movie was technically proficient and yes it was wild and, and fun to watch but like it was clever yes and a lot of things aren't so like <laughs> <laughs> well that's I, I, th- I think that goes a long way and, i mean it, and it, that was the thing it was always in aid of a very clever or smart or funny gag it wasn't just hey let's show i mean this is kind of the the problem that jim's camera that james cameron has nowadays he's got look at the technology look at how amazing the technology is and it's like yeah but the story is not engaging whereas right. this it's like yeah, it's like he's got this tech and it's always paying off an amazing joke or just an amazing pratfall or and, you know, I mean, the story is fairly simple. It's just this dude who's like, hey, a guy stole a watch and I'm going to go after him. <laughs> but he just squeezes every last gag and every last bit that he can get. Now, most of them are unrelated. That's the the part where it's like, well, this could be a Sherlock movie or it could be like, hey, I'm a cop today. You know what I mean? It's like it's <laughs> right. very broad. It's not yeah. necessarily. It kind of like, has that Three Stooges thing where it's just like whatever excuse to do our shtick. Right. But but I do think that Buster Keaton shtick is, is impressive. Well, like, yeah. And... Uh, Again, it's not even that the jokes necessarily match the the theme, but it's always like, yeah, but it's a funny gag or it's, oh, it's a really interesting, you know, use of the film or whatever. I don't know. It's just like you say, you, it, clever is, is, is a good word for it because, yeah, it's, everything is so clever and so funny. And like I like that in, in a way that sort of combines all those things together, there's that bit where he's with the girl in the car. And they make this point about, oh, it has four wheel brakes. So they hit the brakes as they hit a lake. And then the <laughs> right. car goes flying off of the wheels. Right. Lands in the lake. And that in and of itself is pretty funny. But now they're basically on what's like a boat, a boat <laughs> right. car. And then he pops the top open and uses it as a sail. And then they just have this sweet moment where they're like looking at the view, enjoying a boat ride. Right. Uh, that whole thing is it's it's mixed like cool tech you know obviously they made a car float around and fly around like a boat but it's also just sweet it's not doing it like just to do it right it it has a cool little visual to it of like oh look at them on a lovely boat ride in a car on the you know yeah well whereas something like i don't know chitty chitty bang bang is just like (laughs) look at look at this car fly it's crazy it's a crazy car here's a song about the car but like i don't know this felt sweeter to me right 
Well, and yeah, it's good that he had those sweet moments too, because there is, you know, the characterization, I guess, obviously by necessity is so broad. It's like, you don't know anything (laughs) about these characters. It's like, boy, boy is kind of dumb. Girl, girl is a girl, because this is the 20s. So she's uh, the object of everyone's affection. They sort of want to get married, I guess. And uh, but there's another guy wants to marry her and he's evil. That's it. Well, I, and I do like Buster Keaton's non-committal character with with like no emotion. Like by the end of the movie, he's literally watching the film in the movie theater projecting for cues on what to do to love this girl. Right. How to and, properly court her. And he's like barely kissing her and just super awkward. It's not it's almost like, does he even love this woman? Like what? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of hilarious. I mean, it's that that's the interesting thing is when you look at it from a, a story perspective, it's like there's not a real story. There's a very <laughs> thin layer of a story. It's like, hey, let's solve a crime, quote unquote. Um, well, that was another thing that was kind of funny, though. Even then, a, a sort of a subversion in a movie that doesn't wasn't really a detective story. Uh Buster Keaton plays a guy who wants to be a detective and he makes a big deal out of it trying to be a detective. And then the bad guy manages to sneak a note on him that makes it look like he's the guy who pawned the stolen watch. And oh, man. And then in an amazing bit, I'm sure, of characterization for the 20s, his wife to be does the actual detective work, goes to the (laughs) pawn shop where the receipt came from. And that was I mean, it was just one scene. And that's about as much characterization as she got. But but Longino was like pointed out. It's like, oh, look, someone's actually doing some detective work in this. (laughs) I just thought that was clever. He's just fucked off sleeping in a movie theater. It's like he's not solving anything. (laughs) It's kind of hilarious that she actually, you know, puts the pieces together. Yeah. So like I say, for uh, a 1920s movie where uh most women were sort of just background to the dudes that's actually <laughs> that's not bad i mean you you were, you were right there was almost no uh like overtly offensive stuff there was one like they they called the bad guy the local chic and i was like well that's right uh, that didn't age well but that's a <laughs> that's a card you can ignore it i i guess and just i'm sure the they could have said a lot worse at that time so i, I guess yeah you know. i mean it, well, it's just the you know to know that the audience would go, ah, oh, yes, a rich man who is evil. It's like, oh, that's <laughs> great, great shorthand there, guys. But I mean, for the most part, there was you know there were only pretty white people in this to to worry about, and so there was no. Uh, uh, I'm stopping right now. All right, <laughs> all right. Well, well it, you you could watch free and no worry of anything offending you really except one title card maybe except the title card and the general white uh, white breadness of the whole thing but uh, you know it was hollywood in the 20s sometimes white bread is tasty you know (laughs) (laughs) eat that bleach motherfucker all right well uh, I think we're about to head towards an, a very obvious conclusion, but uh, let's do this for the sake of, for the sake of the record book. Hey, John, did this movie hold up for you? Yes, Sherlock Jr. held up. Um, in fact, I remembered it being pretty great, but uh, this was actually better than I remembered. Honestly, like this was mm. quite good. And it's actually made me want to go because I saw some Buster Keaton stuff in school. I almost want to, like, go watch more. <laughs> go bust out the, the catalog. It, yeah. Like, it, it, not only was it good, I'm I'm honestly pretty surprised how well it still plays now. Like, yeah. I, I was chuckling out loud the whole time. Really entertained. 
multiple times was like whoa oh my god you know <laughs> right that that's most movies now don't get that reaction from me. So <laughs> right that's quite impressive and i would certainly recommend anybody watch it yeah uh well it probably will come as no surprise that i agree i think this movie uh holds up for the times holds up uh, fairly phenomenally uh, as an example of of silent movie cinema, that was uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. It was exactly what Tyler, who made the request, had in mind, which is That's hey, right. it took us away from our troubles for forty five minutes. Yeah, I actually have to say, I when we started, I was not. I'm I'm gonna be totally frank. I was not in the best mood. Actually, pretty <laughs> pretty depressed. And I've come out at the other end of it being like. Hey, man, I got a spring in my step. I got a <laughs> smile on my face. How can I, things I be bad? Forgot my troubles for a solid 45 minutes and really enjoyed myself. So thank you, Tyler. Yeah, thank you very it much, Tyler. Like charm. You, you proved the point. You were correct. <laughs> That's why these movies help people get out of the depression, because they were awesome. Thank you for that, Tyler. Uh, and thank you, dear listener, for listening. I would throw to the next episode, but hey, times being what they are, who can tell what's coming next? So uh, <laughs> uh, if you haven't yet, you should check out our uh, little experiment, The Catch-Up. We just put out two bonus episodes of a spinoff of The Hold-Up that we're calling The Catch-Up. Yeah, tripling our output. I know. It's it's almost like it's the 50th episode again. So you got The Hustler and The Color of Money. If you haven't listened to them, you can go back and listen to those. Come back in August. Uh, maybe the world will be open and free and happy and we'll be out of the red, but <sighs> don't count on it. Still trying. <laughs> You can write us at holduppodcast at gmail.com. You can visit us at holduppodcast.com. Thank you to everyone who's gone and left reviews and uh, stars on the iTunes. Uh, we've noticed a couple new ones, so thank you for that. Uh, but until next time. Nobody move. Nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets hurt.